0: You're listening to the Hire Through Retire podcast with Voya's Bill Harmon, tackling all things from 401ks to HSAs and everything in between. We're talking to the best and brightest in the industry to bring you the latest in benefits, savings, and investment trends in the workplace. Come along with us on our journey to help all Americans become well-planned, well-invested, and well-protected. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hire Through Retire podcast. I'm your host, Bill Harmon. and. thank you so much for joining me here today. If you could see my background, my virtual background, you would see a fall foliage because we're right here. We're in the heart of fall. I was just up in the mountains and seeing that all the aspens are changing. So I guess with that, we should probably get into the podcast because there's a lot to talk about. There's never a shortage of topics, but this one's really timely because there's been a ton of activity, real notable activity in Congress recently as it relates to new and existing retirement legislation. So We thought we'd invite some special guests on. This was a really timely situation, and uh, we need to have a good discussion about that. So for those of you that have been following the news, you know we're referring to the Enhancing American Retirement Now, or EARN, as you might hear it in some of the uh, periodicals. And it was passed by the Senate in June, but not published until early September. But that's not all we're here to talk about. The EARN Act, as well as related bills in the Senate, which is rise and shine, and the House, securing a strong retirement act, are all part of the discussion. You might be wondering, well, okay, that's a lot. What's that mean to me? And mostly, what's it all entail? So joining me here today are two of my colleagues that can help us unravel a bit what may be coming later this year in terms of some new retirement support for Americans. So first, we have a former guest and one-time co-host of this very pod, Jeff Simony, the SVP of Retirement Product Management at Voya. Jeff, you're kind of—if we were to think of Saturday Night Live, you're like the Alec Baldwin. You're like the Steve Martin. You've been on this show so many times. I think we need to get you a special jacket. But it's good to have you back. We also have Mark Sides, the SVP and Deputy General Counsel, joining us here today as well. So, hey, Jeff, great to see you again. Mark, welcome to the pod.
1: Thanks, Bill.
2: Thanks, Bill.
0: Well, I was really expecting to get some type of Steve Martin or Alec Baldwin clip <laughs> for you, Jeff, but maybe later in the pod, we can get to that. Tell you what, rather than talk about SNL longtime host, let's jump right into it. And, and Mark, if I could start with you, you know, with the publication of, um, of the text of the EARN Act recently, we now have three bills in Congress, the Securing a Strong Retirement Act, the Rise and Shine Act, and the EARN Act for all of us looking at this, like, how do we sort this out? Can you share a high-level overview of what kind of provisions are included in each of these bills, and particularly as it pertains to employer-sponsored plans?
1: Thanks, Bill. I'll be happy to do that. And the first thing I want to point out is, even though there are three separate bills, two in the Senate, one in the House, they're all still being referred to under the kind of the combined term of Secure Act 2.0. So, Everybody recalls, I'm sure, Secure Act uh, original uh, was passed in 2019 and is now pretty much in uh, law and, and moving forward. And this is Secure Act 2.0, the sequel. It is a big act, all three of them together. Our summaries are running like 138 pages. So I'm going to try to uh, not recite 138 pages worth of uh, text to you, but narrow it down to those that our listeners may uh, care more about. So the first one is um, expanding auto enrollment in retirement plans. All three bills contain additional automatic enrollment provisions beyond what we saw in Secure 1.0, um, with the House bill requiring auto enrollment for new plans. So if you start up a new K plan or a 403 b plan following the passage of this law, you're going to have to actually have an auto enrollment provision, which is uh, new uh, from existing law. The Senate bills also have provisions around automatic re-enrollment, in addition to automatic first-time enrollment. For certain employees, if the employee opts out of a plan, doesn't enroll, or if the employee is under a certain contribution rate after three years, the Senate bills will actually allow for automatic re-enrollment or automatic escalation. And one of the Senate bills um, has a $500 per year tax credit for small employers who establish certain auto-enrollment and reenrollment arrangements. And sticking with incentives for a moment, there are some small business incentives for retirement plans within the various bills. The House and the Senate Earn Bill provide for tax credits for small employers to participate in pooled employer plans and generally increase existing credits for starting new plans for smaller employers. And in some cases, smaller employers are pretty small. It it, it could be 50 or uh, even 25 participants. Those are some things that will be reconciled in the final text. Turning now to another provision, all three bills will allow 403B plans to be part of a pooled employer plan. Uh, You may recall that Secure 1 provided for pooled employer or PEP treatment for corporate plans for 401k plans, but 403b plans were left out of that. Uh, Secure 2.0 would fix that, would allow 403b plans to participate, and importantly, would provide relief from the one bad apple rule to facilitate such participation. Another topic that has been big in the news recently, and Secure 2 addresses it, is student loan payments, right? We've seen a lot about that in the news. The House and one of the Senate bills both contain provisions that would permit employers to make matching contributions under certain retirement plans on qualified student loan payments. And so I think, you know, along with some of the other student loan relief we've been seeing in the news, that's going to be a welcome way for employees in particular to both, you know, keep paying on their student loans, but start to build some retirement nest egg going forward. So we, uh, we really think that's a good development. Another development that will, again, expand the universe of people who get access to retirement plans is part-time workers. So you may recall Secure One said that if someone's been a part-time employee for three or more years, they have to be allowed to participate in a retirement plan. Secure 2.0 is going to take that three-year service requirement and pare it down to two years after a certain time period. Another uh, hot topic these days is emergency savings and distributions. Uh, Among other reasons we saw with COVID, obviously a lot of Americans needed to get emergency money quickly. Many tapped their retirement plans. And because of the way that the emergency distribution provisions work, there was some relief that was required to effectuate that. Both of the Senate bills have provisions that will address emergency savings. The Senate EARN Act. Is going to provide for an easier process for participants to receive up to $1,000 annually for emergency purposes. The withdrawn amounts generally must be repaid through subsequent contributions, but uh, the nice thing is it makes it a little easier for people to get their money under emergency circumstances without having to go through a lot of the hoops, if you will, that currently exist. The Rise and Shine Act, the other Senate bill, is actually gonna permit employers to establish an emergency savings account in which a participant can contribute up to $2,500 post-tax for emergency purposes. The employer also would be allowed to match contributions to the account, which would be taxable. And then uh, another, uh, and and maybe final one to summarize is catch-up contribution changes. You're gonna be hearing a lot, I think, about catch-up contribution changes. So the House bill and one of the Senate bills is actually going to increase catch-up contribution limits from the current $5,000 amount to $10,000 for persons who have attained a certain age. And it would only be for three years. So in one of the bills, it's 61, 62, and 63. You can have three years worth of $10,000 of catch-up contributions. The other bill, it's 62, 63, and 64. They'll obviously have to reconcile that. But that will allow uh, people to catch up a little bit more quickly during those years. In addition, the Senate Earn Bill will require all catch up contributions for employees earning more than $100,000 annually to be made on a Roth basis. And it's also gonna require that any plan that currently allows catch up contributions or that will allow catch up contributions going forward on a pre tax basis to have that Roth feature implemented. For such contributions. In some late breaking news, if you will, and maybe not part of the cluster of bills called Secure 2.0, last week, Senators Toomey and Scott and Representative Meyer introduced the Retirement Savings Modernization Act, uh, which would clarify that 401k plans can invest in alternative assets, such as real estate and private equity funds, and digital assets, And some of you may realize that's being offered in response to some Department of Labor guidance coming out that cast some doubt on the use of those non-traditional assets in 401k and other ERISA plans. So I think that's probably a good place to draw to a close on the summary, Bill. I'll turn it back to you.
0: Well, so I guess you only went through about 20 of the 138 pages (laughs) right there, Mark. I mean, that's a lot to unpack right there for the listeners But I guess we to sum it all up, it's really pleasing to hear that the government appreciates that, you know what, the American worker is not going to be properly prepared to, to retire and do so on time. And then if you look and say, well, what are some of the things that get in the way? Well, it could be that I'm not enrolling early enough or I'm not enrolling at a high enough deferral rate or I don't have Access to a plan through my employer. So, these incentives for more employers to offer them and make it easier for employers to offer them as well through things like PEPs with the 403B provision. Or that maybe some of these things are I'd love to participate, but I can't because I'm paying off student loan debt and that, that is just shackling me. And, and, or even the point of an event happened. And so now I go need to take money out of my retirement plan and that delayed my retirement. So, they're looking at all of these. I mean, the listeners should hear like, what is every possible threat? for me to be able to have my employees retire on time um, and be per- financially prepared to do so, the government's taking a pretty good look at how can we make, at least from our perspective, make it easier for employers to offer these plans and employees to go and participate them. So that's a whole ton of stuff, Mark. One more question for you. A lot of this, and I, and I like how you summed it all up that it's all under sort of the umbrella of Secure 2.0. What are the next steps? Like that's a lot, and, and you just said Senate, and you just said House. And, mm-hmm. So how, you know, I guess, what can we expect to hear more about? And Is there a potential for one of these bills or maybe even a newer version, like the one you just mentioned, like what's going to happen would be your crystal ball prediction.
1: While all three bills that we mentioned have a number of overlapping mm-hmm. provisions. They also have a number of provisions that maybe they're similar in what they're um, attempting to achieve, but they have different ways of doing it. Like the catch up, you know, contribution ages that I mentioned earlier. And there are some where they're just, you know, they're in some, in, in uh, some provisions in one bill and not the other. And they, they have some things that are not on the same page. Those, they're going to go into their proverbial, um, you know, smoke filled back room, get all three bills together, hammer out the differences, align everything. And they're going to come up with one proposed bill either late November or early December after the elections. After the election's over, most people think there's a pretty good chance that there is going to become one combined secure 2.0 bill that passes both houses of Congress. It is a bipartisan issue. Both parties agree that we need to do more to enhance Americans' uh, retirement savings. And so the betting is that you're going to see a bill. It's going to get approved by both houses. It's going to go to the president. The president is going to sign it. I would suspect that the last bill I mentioned, the uh, Retirement Savings Modernization Act, will not be in SECURE 2.0. That at the moment does not have bipartisan support. Um, it has the support of only one party. Probably going to be left on the cutting room floor at this point. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks. So, Jeff, let's turn over to you.
0: I've got to imagine our audience is listening to everything that Mark just described. And there's, there could be a bit of excitement, like, hey, this is really going to help out. But there might be a little bit of intrepidation, like, wait a second, I'm nervous. That's a lot. So if our audience that's primarily employers, plan sponsors, some um, advisors, what do you think is the most important things for them to know that, hey, once this bill gets signed into law, what might the rollout um, and what kind of expectations, what might they have to do with their plan? They might be a little shell-shocked because some of these gave very little notice to to get them kind of into their plan. What are your
2: thoughts, Jeff? Uh, great question, Bill. There's a lot packed into the question. So let me let me parcel out a few of the things that are here. First is really more of an opinion. If I look back in the way that the private sector has worked with uh, organizations like Congress or the Department of Labor as it relates to these issues, I think it has been a bipartisan collaborative effort to really cover three things. One is to expand the coverage, two is to provide kind of better outcomes, and three is to be able to allow employees to make the strongest decisions they can. We've moved from a defined benefit program model for retirement in the United States, where really the government and employers took care of everything, to almost a self-service model. And I I think we're learning as we go. And I think the government is opening to working with us to make improvements. uh, Some of the things that Mark outlined to really get wider coverage that's out there and a better outcome for participants by, you know, helping them with some of the decisions they make. And secondly, Bill, you know, I think you you made a really good point about the rollout. You know, I think we've learned from past situations like this that the time frame for record keepers plan sponsors to think through what particular provisions do they want to put into their plan and how quickly can the industry get ready to support these decisions? is an important part of the enactment date of some of these things that are there. Secure One was a great piece of legislation. Many of us in the record keeping industry are still working on some of those provisions to make them available. And that's almost three years after the fact. And so I think we've clearly given the message to both Congress and the Department of Labor that we need time to build the technology to be able to support some of these decisions. And and lastly, given given your question, I guess I'd add here too is, Many of these provisions are decisions that a plan sponsor needs to think about whether or not they put them into their plan. These are not absolute or obligatory. Most of them are optional at the plan sponsor level. Now, we believe most of these are really in the best interest of the participants. You know, Mark, Mark talked about these things. You know, Expanded coverage was a goal of this legislation. So if you look at things like a small business incentive, if you look like expanding the coverage to who qualifies under the part-time employers, if you look at auto enrollment, all of those expand either the coverage at the individual plan level or at the participant level who is eligible for the plan as a whole. And and then the second part of this too is helping employees with outcomes. We have learned that contribution levels um, electing to to participate in the plan are highly dependent on some of your short-term financial issues that you face. We know the largest cohort of eligible participants that don't participate is the 25 to 35-year-old. That's why things like student loan debt are so important to retirement outcomes. We need to get participants in early enough, and they, they feel strapped because they don't have an emergency savings account or they're strapped with an awful lot of student loan debt. We know that that spills over into the behavior they they take towards their retirement plan. So as we encourage and talk to our plan sponsors about these relevant and important decisions, some of them may seem unrelated to retirement, but we would suggest that they're all interrelated to retirement outcomes. If their participants do not feel secure in the short term, they're definitely not going to make the best decisions they can for their long term.
0: Yeah, let's talk about one item, um, Jeff, and and Mark. I also want to get your thoughts on it too. One of those decisions is when all of a sudden an event, a life event, happens. My car breaks down, or my roof is leaking, or something like this. That that's when all of a sudden, uh-oh, I didn't have an emergency savings. I didn't have a bucket of money that, like, the what if something happens. And we saw this get really popular during the pandemic. That more and more people, well. I heard people talking about, it, I should have an emergency savings. They started doing that. And then employers got really interested in these emergency savings to really, in a sense, protect the retirement plan. So don't take it from that. Don't take it in the form of a hardship distribution where you get taxed and penalized. Don't take it in the form of a loan that maybe be default if you change the job. So obviously, the government hearing about all this and what can they do to help. So as I understand it, the Senate bill or the EARN Act, that includes a provision from the Finance Committee that would allow a participant to withdraw $1,000 annually from a certain retirement plan for these emergency purposes. And then the withdrawal amount generally uh, must be repaid through subsequent contributions. Now, the Rise and Shine Act from the Senate HELP Committee also has an emergency savings account feature that would allow an emergency savings account within a retirement plan, in which a participant can then elect to save up to $2,500 on an after-tax basis and would allow employers to match those contributions to the emergency accounts. So, in a sense, to say, hey, I, employer, am very interested in you having this account to take care of those things so you don't take it out of so we protect your retirement plan. But the three bills waiting to make it through Congress today, Jeff, give me a thought to what's currently in discussion
2: to move forward. Good question. I don't know if we know the outcome, Bill, of the dollar amount or the frequency or the way that if someone does tap it for an emergency situation, how that's going to be replenished.
1: I think that um, you may see both. So if you think about the EARN Act, it, it's, it's, I'm going to put quotes around this word, of course, it's sort of a $3,000 out, right? Like it, it's pretty self-executing. Obviously, there's going to be some administrative details, around managing the ins and outs and things like that, but it executes itself at the participants sort of you know need. Suddenly they have a, a need, they get the thousand dollars out and that works pretty well for a real immediate unforeseen purpose. The Rise and Shine Act out of the HELP Committee is really to build that emergency savings nest egg that so many people in our country do not have. And so I think they can work together to really serve Americans. Now, obviously, the $2,500 account under Rise and Shine is going to be a little bit more to implement and things like that, and employers are really going to want to think about if that's what they want. I think if you're concerned about your employees wanting to both start to save for retirement and protect those earnings and also have some emergency savings, the $2,500 account is where your long-term solution might be while you have the $1,000 under the the EARN Act. That's just my two cents.
0: Anything to add on that, Jeff?
2: Uh, I'm going to take it just in a slightly different direction, Bill. I think the important thing about the emergency savings provisions that are being contemplated is that they adhere to certain principles. One is that they're easy to set up. And having emergency savings as a part of a retirement plan just leverages the infrastructure that exists, particularly payroll deduction. Two, participants should have easy accessibility to those assets. By definition, if it's an emergency, they need it. And so we think provisions that allow access at the participant level without much friction is going to be something that's going to be very beneficial to folks contemplating electing to set up the emergency savings account. But the third part of it needs to balance out the frequency of use of the emergency savings with the purpose of an emergency savings. By definition, this is supposed to be for an unforeseen emergency. And so there are some provisions about how often a participant can use this. And we have been an advocate for a frequency that's more commensurate with emergencies than with using it as a checking account. But I think if you can make it easy for folks to set up, if it's easy for them to access it they'll use it more, and our feeling, and we know this, Bill, you you cited it very well through what we learned through the COVID situation. The more that folks have a backdrop, they will use that backdrop when they have an unforeseen emergency. If they don't have a backdrop, oftentimes the only backdrop they have is a retirement savings account, and we know that that's detrimental to long-term savers.
0: You know, and I like how you said it, Jeff. And we talked about this on another um, podcast episode where more and more employees are really looking to their employer as a trusted source. So to have it being easy to be set up, to have to really understand kind of the interdependency of, for instance, an HSA that's going to take care of any of my out-of-pocket healthcare costs and emergency savings, would take care of any of my my car broke down, my my root leaking. But you know what? It's not coming out of my retirement account. That's per- that purpose. There is for me to live on when I'm in retirement. And if these other items act as threats, I go through my employer to go ahead and find these and create kind of this interdependent series of uh, workplace savings accounts. Jeff Mark, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be with us and really help break down what I'm sure a lot of our listeners right now are saying. Wow, that's that's a lot of stuff. And you, I like how you broke it down into kind of digestible, applicable kind of um, dialogue. So thank you very much. I appreciate it, guys.
2: Thanks for having me, Bill.
1: Thanks, Bill.
0: So concludes yet another episode of the Hire Through Retire podcast. To our audience out there, as always, I want to thank you for tuning in. We do hope this provided some clarity for the lingering questions about what's out there and what's to be expected. Well. We know we're in a bit of a wait and see period when it comes to this type of legislation. Our goal is to always help you stay informed. And you can count on us to be back to tackle this topic again, hopefully later this year, if we have a final piece of legislation. So thank you again for joining us today and stay well. This information is provided by Voya for your education only. Neither VoyA nor its representatives offer tax or legal advice. Any opinions expressed within do not necessarily reflect those of the Voya family of companies or its representatives and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Please consult your tax or legal advisor before making a tax-related investment or insurance decision.